And welcome to the GMC podcast, the place where you can listen to the weekly word from God and highlights from the team at GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland. Today's podcast brings you the sermon series, Money, the Root of All Evil, or a Necessary Part of Life. This is a five-part series that will be interspersed in our Sunday worship through February to May 2023. It will challenge us all to understand Jesus's and St. Paul's teaching about possessions and money, you know, wealth in general, and how we relate to wealth and what it means to give of ourselves generously for the kingdom of God. In a world where our security is often linked to what we own and possess, the scriptures can reset our assumptions on what matters most in life. So thank you for joining us on this podcast, as we hope you will both be encouraged to respond to God's word and be challenged by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now before the word from God, we will lead you in a time of prayer. Let us pray. Father God, thank you that you give us prayer. Thank you that we can pray to you. Help us remember that prayer should be personal. It should be passionate, and it should be persistent. Father, we pray for family, for whatever that means for each individual one of us here. And in a few moments of quiet, Lord, I want each of us to bring a member of our close or wider family network who needs to hear from you this week. Father, hear our prayers. You know the deepest desires of our heart. Answer those prayers this week, Lord. Father, we pray for our community. Again, in whatever that means, that will be a street, uh, a cul-de-sac. For some of us, it may be a wider area. For some of us, it may be a worldwide area, a family or friends or a networks that we're surrounded in, Father. And again, we ask that you would Come into our prayers and direct our hearts right now to someone or a situation in our locale or our community and that you would answer prayer, Lord. And again, in the silence, let us bring these prayers, these these situations, these people to you, Father. Lord, hear our prayer. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. Lord, we think of our country, both in Scotland and in the United Kingdom, lack of leadership, backbiting, anger, hatred. We think of our own church meeting this weekend and already the news is causing conflict amongst people, causing anguish and pain. Father, you are a God of love and you are a God of hope. And the one thing that Jesus said more than anything else was, do not be afraid. So Father, help us not be afraid when we are faced by the latest news, the latest horror, the latest shock the latest political scandal. Father, you are above all and in all, and you are powerful, and you can change if we commit and sacrifice ourselves in prayer. So, Father, once again, for our country, each of us, just call on each of us to think of something that we mean something to us and we ask in a moment of quiet that you would answer and reach out and answer that prayer in our hearts thank you father and we pray for our world father there are conflicts and pains we know of the conflict of course in ukraine but there are conflicts 
and disagreements and war and fighting and threats of war all over the world. And for each of us, we may know things that other people don't know about. So, Father, again, we pray and we call and we cry out to you, Lord, even as the G7 meet this week. We call for there to be a breakthrough, a peace to break out for our lawmakers and those that hold power over us to have an encounter with you, Lord. Those who are believers amongst the leaders, and there are many, we call upon you, to Lord, to break through into their hearts and, and move them away from their political positions and remember their first calling, Lord. Their calling to you and the call you place on their lives and the promises that they have made to honor you and to worship you and to care for the people in their care. Father, again, each of us will have a different thing on our hearts and a moment of quiet. Come to each of us and let us each pray that prayer to you now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And finally, Lord, we pray for the kingdom. Perhaps this should be the first thing we pray for. Sometimes it may be the last thing we pray for when we deal with all of the, all of the things that are bothering us. But the kingdom is why we are who we are. It's why we are here this morning. We call on you, Lord. Bring your kingdom closer. Touch hearts. Change lives. Help us reflect you in a way that perhaps we haven't done in some time, Lord. Let us be the light and life in this dark, dismal world where there's so much antagonism, so much negativity, when everyone hears the latest bad news story and there's so little good news stories going around that <clears throat> people even forget that good news happens. Father, bless us and be with us. Help us be the peace bringers. Not the peacekeepers, but the peacemakers, the peace bringers, the bringers of light. There are, so many, there are so many scriptures that talk of Christians being the light. And we stand on the hillside. We should not cover our light. We should not hide ourselves away. No matter what the cost, no matter what the price. If they do not see the light, how can people know that they are in darkness? Father, it's a terrible and awesome calling upon each one of us and it's a challenge to all of us but father it is not in our strength it is in yours so father help us bring the kingdom to the people that we know the situations that we are in and the environments that we step into let us be salt and light and blessing to all those we meet this week not in our strength, but in the glorious power of the Holy Spirit from God above through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Following that time of prayer, I hope your hearts are prepared and open to receive from God's word wherever you are today. If anything you hear from our preacher today, from God's word, or the sermon challenges you and maybe raises questions, or if you want to know more about the Christian faith and getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ, then please get in touch via our website or through the office. Details are in our show notes. Or maybe you'd like to support GMC financially in our ministry for the kingdom. 
Details to support us financially can be found on the homepage of the website, clicking through a support us with stewardship icon. Now, over to our preacher. Um, Our reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians. Paul's talking to the Corinthian believers. So it's 2 Corinthians. I'm reading from my my mum's Bible because it's big print. And chapter 8. And I think I'm reading 15 verses. And it's a call to generous giving. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles and they are very poor but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Can you imagine a congregation begging to give. They even did more than we hoped, we'd hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share it with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scripture says, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. And those who gathered only a little had enough. May God bless to us this reading from his word. It's a powerful, powerful story. 
text. It really is. Um, and I'll get to it in a minute. But I want to give a wee personal testimony first. About three years ago, I was hit by an autoimmune condition. Uh, and it manifested itself through four different inflammatory symptomatic conditions, which were not all diagnosed at once or correctly treated. But these conditions were like a perfect storm. They worked rapidly through my body, damaging several of my joints and causing great pain. I can only say it was utterly overwhelming in its ferocity because in a matter of months, I could no longer stand and bear my weight, which I know is considerable. But I was in a wheelchair and I was bedridden most of the day and on morphine for the pain. Life just came to a complete standstill and the loss was difficult for me to comprehend. I had many people praying for me during this time. It was great to hear that testimony from Tom about that lady. Um, I had many people, many Christians praying for me at this time. But it continued to progress. And it became clear that I urgently needed at least one knee replaced. The rate at which the joint was deteriorating meant that if it wasn't done soon, it was unlikely to succeed. And all this in the midst of the COVID pandemic, with all the stresses and strains that hospitals were going through. So our GP advised Brian and I, if we could possibly do it, to go privately, because the list was just too long. And I know that some of you have been and are on that list. So Brian and I prayed about it. We had just retired. We'd just bought the house that we'd moved into to retire to. And we were making all the financial adjustments that anyone who's retiring needs to make. And a knee replacement was going to cost between 13 and 15,000 pounds. And I was told it was probable that I needed both knees done. Yeah. We were so thankful for all the prayers that helped to sustain us during that period. We never ever made an appeal for help. But people knew how urgent the surgery was and hearts began to be touched by our situation as God began speaking to one person after another. And friends and others would contact us and ask if they could bless us and give us money towards this surgery. One couple said, what do you need? And we said nothing. The condition, if you want to give, is only that God has put it on your heart and he will tell you what you need to give. There is no pressure whatsoever to give. They prayed about it and came back with a generous gift. Another couple gave us 5,000 pounds and the husband of this couple was already on the waiting list with the NHS for a knee replacement himself, but insisted that the Lord had told him to give this. Everyone who gave us a gift was a deeply committed Christian. And even after we had all that we needed, I could have got a facelift as well, and surgery was able to go ahead, the surgeon who carried out the procedure was actually one of my past parishioners from Kirkliston. And he put me to the top of his surgery list as urgent. 
and asked for the privilege of carrying out this operation. He said afterwards it was the worst knee he'd ever done, left any longer and it would not have been possible. God was in all of it. Even after the surgery, people continued to contact us and say, why didn't you let us know? We wanted to give, to bless you. You see, out of the overflow of generous hearts, surrendered completely to the Lord, there was such an abundance. And that abundance made it possible for me to stand here today and share with you. I still have problems with my joints. I have this condition. And unless the Lord says otherwise, it will be with me for life. Both knees have been replaced. And by the grace of God, I'm not in a wheelchair. But I'm thankful for the, the grace and generosity of others. It has strengthened my faith. And it's also given me sight and empathy for those who suffer pain and loss. I can see it so much more now. When you say to folk, how are you? And they say, fine. And you know they're not fine. But what a gift God has given in enabling me to see and to pray, as Tom has said. I have gained a great empathy for others who suffer pain and loss, and I feel it's becoming more and more part of the ministry that I conduct, that I go to people that are needing encouragement and healing. Today's text from 2 Corinthians concerns a community who gave not out of an abundance of wealth, actually quite the contrary. They gave generously out of an abundance of God's love in their hearts. And that's the key. That's the key. The generosity of God's love overflows from a yielded heart out towards others. It's not about how much you give. It's the heart to give. So let's get a wee bit of context here about this particular uh, text in Corinthians. The, the Apostle Paul, you will know this, but he made three great mission trips during his lifetime. And he covered the known world at that time. The gospel initially went out from Jerusalem. Paul went from Antioch across Asia Minor, going a little further west each time as he penetrated into these areas, preaching until the gospel made its way into Europe. Now in our text this morning, Paul is on his third missionary trip. And he's been taking a collection as, as he goes from all the Gentile churches, the non-Jewish churches in some of those regions, in Macedonia and Achaia. Macedonia includes Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, Achaia being Corinth. These offerings were collected to support the church in Judea in Jerusalem, the mother church. Because the brothers and sisters of the early church have been suffering greatly. So what's going on in Judea that requires these Gentile churches being asked to support them? Well, firstly, most of the jobs in Jerusalem at the time were temple-oriented. The temple was the biggest enterprise going on in the city of Jerusalem. It was enormous. And it was run 
by a group of Jewish leaders known as the Sadducees. We often hear a lot about the Pharisees, but the enterprise of the temple was run by the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the largest, most formidable enemy of the early church in Jerusalem. And here's why. The Sadducees were liberals. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in angels. And they certainly didn't believe in resurrection. Now, as you can imagine, that's a bit of a problem for the early church, whose singular message was Jesus came. He performed miracles, he died, and was raised from the dead. So because they preached the resurrection in virtually all of their sermons, the Sadducee party became their biggest enemy. They controlled the jobs in Jerusalem. During the ministry of Jesus, things were a little bit different. The Sadducees were not the problem so much as the Pharisees, the legalists. And Jesus challenged their legalism and control. But now that Jesus has died and the early church claims he is resurrected, the Sadducees are on their case. And believers and followers of Jesus would be discriminated against in the workplace. Does this sound familiar? They couldn't work. They were losing their jobs and their income. They couldn't be the first minister of Scotland. So in response to this happening to those early believers, they pooled all their assets. You're going to hear about this next week at Pentecost. They sold their belongings and their resources and they shared everything. There was commonality between them. You'll hear about this in Acts 2. They gave to anyone as they had need. But this common purse could only sustain them for a certain amount of time. This is several years on. And the resources are dwindling for the believers in Jerusalem and Judea, and they're suffering. But the third reason, so they're losing their jobs and their income. Their money's running out from sharing everything they had. And the third reason is a famine hit really hard in Judea. And we know about this from Acts 11, when a prophet by the name of Agabus predicted a severe famine was coming to the entire Roman world, and it did happen under the reign of Claudius. So because of this prophecy, wisely, the believers in Antioch and the other churches decided to prepare to send relief to the believers in Judea. Isn't this a wonderful picture of what the family of God is? And why we give to open doors and further afield, and not just locally. And they sent their gift initially through Barnabas and Paul. And that's in Acts 11. So this scheme of organizing a collection for the church in Jerusalem, for the brethren, for Mother Church, really becomes a big issue for Paul. It was close to his heart because he talks about it a lot in his letters. His desire was that all the Gentile churches should remember the church that brought them faith in the first place. They helped you spiritually. It's only right that you should help them materially. It was their duty. And he talks about this in his letter to the Romans 
after he's taken up the collection. Romans 15 says this, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor amongst the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it and indeed they owed it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Paul has a deep commitment to the scheme because he knows what he has come from by the grace of God. I think he was invested in protecting and caring for the early church because at one time he was the chief persecutor. He was the one that went after them. Remember the the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, when the angry mob laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul while carrying out this execution. Saul witnessed it. He was completely in agreement with it. He was involved in threats and slaughter against the early church. He was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house dragging both men and women to throw them into prison. Paul was the chief antagonist against the early church. And this antagonism moved him north towards Damascus in pursuit of those early believers. But Jesus interrupts him powerfully. And Paul experiences a dramatic conversion and becomes a servant of the Lord Jesus, an apostle with a commission to be an evangelist to the Gentiles. Excuse me. Isn't it amazing how God takes the sin and the mistakes and the difficulties and the pain in our lives and when we receive him as Lord, he immediately goes to work transforming our lives and bringing something good out of it. He uses all that stuff that was painful And he works it for good in who we become in him. The chief persecutor of the church encounters Christ and becomes the chief promoter of the church and of the gospel. And the rapid increase of the church follows across the known world. If God has your heart, anything is possible. Paul described himself as the chiefest of sinners. If he was up here giving a testimony with Mike, and Mike asked that question, so Paul, tell us, how did it all happen? I'm the chiefest of sinners because I persecuted the church of God. The Jerusalem church is being hit hard at this point. And remembering his past and the depths from which God rescued and restored and redeemed him, Paul's heart is for the church. He so badly bruised. God's love and God's amazing grace enables him to feel the pain. To feel the pain of others. And he is committed to alleviating their hardship. It's very personal to Paul. The Jerusalem church is the original sending church. Mother church needs help. Friends, sometimes we pray a prayer and we sing it. God, break my heart 
for what breaks yours. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Break my heart for what breaks yours. And it's a good prayer to pray. But are we then prepared to follow that up with whatever action the Lord requires? If we are genuinely willing to be broken by the things that breaks God's heart as a measure of his grace in our lives and the evidence of such grace, it means inquiring of the Lord, what do you want me to do about this, Lord? If anything, what do you need me to do? And if God tells you something, make it a priority and do it. Now the problem with these believers in Corinth that Paul is trying to address is they actually started off really well with this collection the previous year in gathering it up for Mother Church. They were actually the first ones in the area to respond to this plight in setting aside money each week as was suggested to them and in accordance with their resources. Please note that. They were not asked to give what they didn't have. It was according to their resources. But they were not a poor church. But here's the thing, other things caught their attention and began to take the priority. Other issues gobbled up their time, their energy, and their money. There were divisions in this church, and we know how draining that can be. There was abuse of spiritual gifts and giving for others became a casualty as they become absorbed with their own internal problems. They had fallen behind in their giving. It's as simple as that. Their sentiment was strong, but it was not being followed through. Giving had gone on hold. But there could be spiritual implications here. Have they fallen behind in their prayer life? fallen behind in their service. It's Paul's job as their spiritual leader, as indeed it's the job of every spiritual leader, to encourage a greater and deeper response in your people to the grace and love of God. Generous giving, in many ways, is a thermometer of how a church is doing spiritually. Warren Weasby says the church which is not spiritual is not generous. The church in Jerusalem was poor and it was Paul's desire that all the Gentile churches should remember and help Mother Church. So he reminds the Corinthians of their duty and he urges them to fulfill their promise of generosity. He does not command them. He doesn't command them. He doesn't give them a guilt trip. It's not, you've got to give or else. So how does he do it? Because if there's one thing that makes the church squirm, it's the subject of money and taking up money and giving money. So how did Paul encourage them to be generous, to get back on track with their giving? So that their sentiments, what they were saying, break my heart for what breaks yours, and their actions were aligned. Well, first, he gives them credit for having begun. You made a great start. You were the first ones to give. 
but he also reminds them of the shortfall. Credit where credit's due. You started off well. Secondly, he affirms in them their other gifts, where they excel. But he gently indicates that their generosity fell in favor of these other gifts, which more readily attracted them. In verse 7, since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Thirdly, he does resist the temptation to manipulate them by giving them a guilt trip or by imposing a legalistic requirement. That's the way of the Pharisee. God's grace alone to them must remain their motive for giving. It's a response to God's graciousness. So there's no instruction here to tithe, for example. It's a choice. By all means, if you wish, give a tithe. If you wish, but give according to your heart. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give what you have, not what you don't have. Have you ever felt the pressure of that? Give more than you have. Put yourself into debt to give. That's not what God says. He says, I don't mean that your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. Right now, you've got plenty. And you can help those who are in need. Later on, when they've got plenty, they can share with you. And in this way, it all evens out. I've noticed an increase in ministers and pastors coming into the Church of Scotland, to Mother Church, to serve as pastors from places we might consider some of the world's poorest countries. Have we noticed that? How many African, South African, Eastern European ministers that are coming to help Mother Church? And quite often they're horrified by what they find. But they're so grateful for the gospel having come to them. We might say, well, what goes around comes around. The Bible says you reap what you sow. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. And you're given the example from Paul from Exodus. Everyone who gathered manna in the wilderness had enough. If you took too much, it turned rotten. Everyone had enough. It all evened out. But Paul's greatest example to them was the example of others who were generous in action. The, the Macedonians were much poorer than the Corinthians in every way, yet gave graciously. Now, am I just contradicting what I've just said? You give out of what you have. Well, he gives the ultimate example of graciousness in action. The Lord Jesus in his pre-incarnate sonship with the Father, Jesus gave up everything to become one of us in order to lead us back to the Father. Paul is really stressing the necessity of putting fine feeling into fine action. The Corinthians had been the first to feel 
the appeal of the scheme, but a feeling which remains only a feeling, a pity which remains only a pity of the heart, a fine desire that never turns into a fine deed is a sadly truncated and frustrated thing. The tragedy of life so often is not that we don't have high impulses, but that we fail to turn them into actions. No giver has, in any real sense, given a gift unless it also includes a bit of yourself. And Jesus would point to the example of the widow at the temple who placed her two little mites into the collection. She gave everything she had, not out of her surplus, but you see, this was evidence that she trusted God in this act of faith and obedience to take care of all her needs. And Paul adopted the stance of an advisor. He gently conveys to the Corinthians that their shortfall is a problem of not seeing something through. But he can only advise. Only they can resolve the problem. You have the capacity to sort this out yourselves. I'm just advising you. I'm not commanding you. Generosity is a signal. It is a grace bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia in this passage. It is proof that God has been graciously working inside human hearts. Generosity is one of God's qualities. So when we experience the grace of God, we in turn become gracious. Generosity is the evidence of grace in a church's life. And it is sacrificial and freely given, willingly, not grudgingly, fearfully, reluctantly, or in response to pressure. We know the passage. God loves a cheerful giver. Joyfully, do we realize that giving is a gift? It's listed amongst all the gifts that Christians are supposed to want or have. If giving is your gift, give generously. Macedonians were in deep poverty and they knew the trial of affliction and persecution as a church. They would be considered really rock bottom. Paul wasn't even going to ask them to give. It was so bad. They begged, please, please give us the opportunity to give. We want to bless Mother Church as well. And actually, the Macedonians had been encouraged by the Corinthians giving. Please let us give as well. Generosity is joy in action. You know, God's arithmetic just doesn't make sense. Great affliction plus deep poverty plus grace equals joy and generosity. The Macedonians understood it's more blessed to give than to receive. Research has shown that it's often the case that people with less income are more generous than those with larger incomes. They are eight times more likely to give because they understand what poverty is. I was once part of a 
congregation in Wester Hales, Holy Trinity. It's where Lee comes from as well. And despite being the only UPA parish in Edinburgh Presbytery, that's an urban priority area, so more people per head were in receipt of benefit, they consistently and still consistently are one of the top giving churches in Edinburgh Presbytery. Generosity is consequential. The Macedonians gave far more than money. They first gave themselves to the Lord. Dedicated themselves to God. And this meant giving became a privilege to be desired, not a pattern to be avoided. You can't give your substance to the purpose of God, friends, till you first give yourself to the person of God. I'm just going to repeat that. You can't give your substance to the purpose of God till you first give yourself to the person of God. One flows from the other. If God has you and me, then God has our bank account, our purse, our wallet, our resources. If God has you, then you won't mind this sermon because God has all of you. When Jesus divested himself of all he had, he laid down his glory and consented to come to earth and entered into a life of humility and poverty. He was born in a borrowed manger. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. He said of himself, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This was the reminder given to the believers in Corinth and with such a tremendous example of generosity before you, Paul is saying. How can you not finish what you started? Don't let anything get in the way of being a generous church. They were not commanded, they were not guilt-tripped, they were advised, and they did it. They did it. They completed what they started. And the Macedonian and the Kai offering were taken by Paul to the church in Jerusalem and it encouraged them and it enabled them to keep standing and it kept them out of the wheelchair. Let us pray. Thank you for the privilege of giving, Father. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood of your son Jesus who took away the sin of the world. If there is anything in my heart, in our heart, that is not fully surrendered to you, can we give it to you this day that your grace may abound, that we might be joyful, generous, givers of grace for the kingdom of God to those that you send us to, to those that you give us eyes to see, whether it's giving our time, giving our talents, giving our service, whether we're cleaning with mops and pails, let's do it all for the glory of God. And Father, in your arithmetic, it will all even out. 
thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Worship Podcast from the team at GMC. Again, if you'd like more details of who we are, what we believe and how we serve, then visit our website at gillespiechurch.org, find us on Facebook or look back at some of our videos on our YouTube channel. Just search Gillespie Memorial Church. All inquiries can be made through the Contact Us page on our website or by calling the office. Details are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our work with a financial donation, then offerings can be made by clicking the Support Us with Stewardship icon on the homepage of the website. This has been a production of GMC, including the pastors and the tech team. All copyright remains with the producers. Today's episode was edited by Jack Wiggle, and the soundtrack is Up to the Mood by Low Tree. Thanks for listening, and God bless.